Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. Do you work for or run a business? You can now raise awareness and funds for urgent change by joining the Brain Tumor Charity's brand new campaign, Businesses Against Brain Tumors. By declaring yourself a business against brain tumors and taking on your very own brain power challenge, you can raise funds for vital medical research while improving your own brain health at the same time. People have shaped our world and facilitated amazing amounts of progress through business. Organizations are connecting people every day, innovating in the face of challenges like the pandemic and creating products that make up our culture. Now is the time to take that power and put it into good by beating brain tumours. And we all know there's power in numbers. Brain tumours are still the biggest cancer killer of children and adults under 40, with treatments having changed very little since the 1980s. It's no wonder when only 3% of national cancer research funding is spent on brain tumours. So it's down to the charity and its community of amazing supporters to urgently enact change. Look for the Brain Tumor Charity on social media to find out how you, your colleagues and your business can be the difference we need to see to defeat brain tumors for good. Motormouth is proud to be officially partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, so a huge thank you for your support. If you can donate anything, you can also do that through the motormouth.club website or through the Brain Tumor Charity Direct, and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumor. It's season nine, and we're really excited to be once again teaming up with F1 Experience. Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One this year, we're all over it. And the brilliant news is you can now be trackside thanks to F1 Experiences. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first class hotels and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 Experience, visit F1 Experiences experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code motormouth when checking out online. So what are you waiting for? Experience the 2021 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 experiences. Get booking today at f1experiences.com. Hello, Tim Sylvie here, and today we're joined by a man who hails from Hemel Hempstead in Hertfordshire, a town which was developed after the Second World War bombings as a new town designed to house the population displaced by the London Blitz, although it actually had been a settlement since the 8th century and became a town when King Henry VIII granted it its modern-day status. It lies, lies 24 miles northwest of London with a population of around 100,000 people. And did you know, Harry Benjamin, that Hemel Hempstead is home to the first ever multi-storey car park in Great Britain, which was built into the side of a hill in the Marlowe's shopping district back in 1960. But enough of my Hertfordshire-based facts. Harry, first of all, it's good to have you back because you missed the last show. Did I? Who was that with? Brabs. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> I felt like I was there because I edited it. So. Yes. <laughs> so it felt like I was there. How was David Brabham? He was lovely. He was really, really nice. Top bloke. Um, fascinating story. Amazing racing CV. And obviously now doing very well with his um, his Brabham Automotive and motorsport exploits and the, the BT. Is it the BT car? BT 64, I want to say. Um, our, our guest will probably know. But he's, he's, he's very good. And it was just odd doing it without you. I think that was the first time... Or the second time, actually, in over 100 it's, episodes. And that was the second time, because I was, I was 
I had COVID or something. I was ill when you had yeah. Alexander Sims. And then I, well, this time I was sadly in the, well, I was on holiday basically. Yeah. So <laughs> with no Wi-Fi, uh, which is my, my excuse. Uh, fair dues. Well, look, should we introduce today's guest? I think so. The Wi-Fi is holding up for now. Good. Today, I'm delighted to say we're joined by Anthony Davidson. His first experience in racing was in karts, aged just eight years old, and quickly found he had a talent for it and went on to take part in his first competitive race in 1987, the year that the Great Storm crashed into Britain, causing over £5 billion worth of damage in today's money. And those over a certain age will remember it well. Harry, you certainly won't. Uh, he'd go on to compete in championships all over the world in Formula Ford, Formula 3, sports cars, and of course, Formula 1. And we're also now very familiar with him on our screens outside of the cockpit and in front of the camera with Sky Sports F1. We're here to find out more about his life, career, thoughts, views, and opinions. Anthony Davidson, welcome to the Motormouth. Wow, that's a great introduction. Thank you very much, guys. Privileged to be here and join you. <laughs> Thanks, Ad, for coming on. Tim is always one for a historic stat, particularly if they're location-based. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm got quickly learning that, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I've learned things about my hometown I never thought I would. You're Did welcome. you not know about the two-story car park? <laughs> I, I think I might have heard that once before. I'm, I'm amazed you didn't mention the magic roundabout. Yes. Really. Yeah. Dumbed. Yeah. Dumbed. Yeah. yeah, the magic roundabout, the worst roundabout on the planet bar none. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, enough Hemel Hempstead chat. Um, and first of all, thanks for coming on the show. Really great to, to have you on. Um, where, where are you today? Are you still in that area of the world or have you moved to pastures new? No, I'm up near Banbury these days. Yeah, so in the motorsport haven, yeah. uh, as it's known around these areas. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it brought me here uh, in early 2000, actually. Um, yeah, when I was quickly getting uh, on, the, on the ladder in single-seater motorsport, and um, yeah, actually moved to Brackley as my first uh, first venture up north. People down south would call this place, um, but yeah, this has just been home for, for yeah since two thousand and met my wife here. She's originally from Banbury. We got married in Banbury, and um, yeah, now live just just up the, the road from there. It's funny. Oh, wow. it's, it's, I think nearly everyone we interview now lives in Banbury. Uh, it seems to be the place where all racing drivers, old and new, tend to gravitate yeah. towards. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I still work for, uh, for Mercedes, uh, for the Brackley-based team, through their multiple guises throughout the years, uh, which started again in the early 2000s. So, um, and, you know, just being local to there is, uh, is a bit of a blessing um, for, for these times when I do so much simulator work for them. Yeah, yeah and, well, it would be remiss, I think, uh, to not talk about briefly this podcast is usually all about our guest all about you Anthony Davidson but first of all I think we we would love to get your view on the uh Abu Dhabi final and the Grand Prix the season finale a uh, bit of a quiet one bit boring end to it really just sort of petered <laughs> yeah, out at the end um, from but for, for some of the uh, the bits that did happen there was a quite a, a controversial last lap what, what were your initial thoughts on the situation? Was Lewis, Lewis just on the receiving end of a bit of bad luck or was it unjust of the stewards? Did it just go Verstappen's way? How did you see it all? It was all so lighthearted at the start. It's getting serious now, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Right. We'll move on. We'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go then. Roll up the sleeves. Um, yeah, so I've been watching it back today again. Um, obviously, you watched it live. I wasn't out there in Abu Dhabi. Um, thankfully, I think uh, <laughs> I, could, I could soak it all up from, from on my sofa 
And uh, yeah, just watch it all unfold. I mean, what a dramatic end. It, it's kind of fitting, isn't it, for, I guess, for, for how the season's been. We all knew deep down, I think, that it was going to end in some kind of drama. It wasn't surely just going to be Lewis walking off into the distance and winning by 10 or 15 seconds, whatever it was. Uh, it is very fitting. And uh, that last five-lap safety car uh, that caused by Nicholas Satifi in his fight with Mick Schumacher... Um, it, it, it was it was so fitting, um, really was. But um, I, my my heart did go out for Lewis. I did yeah. feel sorry for him after putting in such an impeccable performance. So apart from obviously the the, the Contra Thompson lap one uh, down at uh, turn the new turn six or the old turn eight, whatever how you want to call it. Um, yeah, that was the only kind of drama he had, I guess, in the race up until that point. Um, I guess the jury's still out on whether he should have being told to give that place back. I'm still undecided on that one. It was a bit of a tight call. I think I am surprised in a way that the stewards didn't say, based on the last race in Jeddah, that he didn't have to give the place back. Um, but then he was ran out of road in a tight fight. <laughs> Once again, I put 100% blame on these stupid runoff areas that we have. Uh, you would see a very different... A very different outcome, I believe, if uh, both from the overtaker and the guy that's being overtaken, if there was a sea of gravel staring at you instead of tarmac yeah. in that moment. You have to yield earlier. Are you as ballsy on the brakes under the overtaking situation? Probably not, because you do risk going off the track. It's all because of this, this silly runoff area that we have in, in corners like that, and obviously in turn four in Brazil. So that was the first moment but really the only moment that Lewis uh, that Lewis had had to face in that race because he had the speed it it was a joy to watch him it's been a joy to watch both him and Max all year they've been they've been amazing honestly just so far ahead of the rest of the field uh really a, a brilliant display of speed and skill that that none can can come close to out there it, it was they elevated themselves to a whole new level it's, it's yeah. been they've been supreme um but there had to be one winner and unfortunately, it did come down to that last safety car. Um, and it, it's very hard to blame anyone for it, uh, for, for how it unfolded. I, in, that, in the heat of the moment, to, to be Michael Massey, just try and put yourself in Horrible. his position. Horrible. I'm so glad I wasn't doing his job. So glad I wasn't doing the steward's job. What do you do? You don't want to see a race finish under the safety car, surely. That's not how this championship was was going to end. Um, we didn't want it to end like that. I wouldn't have really wanted to end under a safety car. I've seen too many uh, Indy 500s, for example, yeah. finish under the pace car, as they call it. Um, and that, that's boring. I, no one wants to see a, a safety car finish to a race, especially a championship like this. So I understand there was that push to make it finish on, on, under racing circumstances, and the way that the rules fall in Formula One means that you can pit under safety car or full course yellow, even change your tyres under red flag situations, which that's a whole other topic to get into. Uh, many other championships don't allow it, like the championship I've raced in this year in WEC, for example. Uh, and maybe that would clear up all of these problems. Who knows? But this, this safety car situation, it, I understand people's frustration People that are fans of Lewis wanted to see him win the race on merit, as it looked like he, he was going to do, uh, in only letting five cars past and not the other cars behind yeah. the, the, the battle at the front. 
Um, so it was unprecedented. I've never seen that before in all the years I've followed Formula One, in all the years I've raced for 34 years of my life. I've never seen that happen. Um, and so I can see why there's a bit of a sour taste left in people's mouths from it. But it was more exciting than just watching a race finish under a safety car. I was. I guess. It was. And, and I'm, I'm glad they pushed to do that. But in many ways, it would have been even more exciting if they just left all the cars in the same positions because it still would have been a really close fight because all the cars had to get out of the way anyway under blue flags. They were all obliged to peel off out of the way as soon as Max got anywhere near them and Max would have been flying like you saw and and, and threatening the whole way through that that third sector, probably would have shoved it down the inside in desperation into the very final corner and we'd be talking about something completely different. Um, So I feel like that would have been a, a nice... Like a, a, a more fair way to to end the race than than what happened. It was a uh, I was watching a race at the end. I guess with it's a bit like watching a boxing match with with one fighter's hands tied behind his back. Uh, well, guess who's going to win, guys? A lot of people. A lot of people were saying it was like in a football match, you know, in an FA Cup final where one team's three or not three nil up, and the referee goes, "All right, next goal wins." Yeah, it, you know, it's a yeah, bit... and well, and while we're at it, let's make the goal bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's, like, it's just an absolute given that you're going to score the goal. So uh, I, I just I felt like turning the TV off. Honestly, as soon as I as soon as I saw the other cars disappear, and, and I'm now watching a car with brand new or close to brand new soft tires, effectively a qualifying car against a car on, on knackered old hard tires uh, that had done the majority of the race. It's just you know, like I say a fighter with both hand sides behind his back. Yeah. It was, it, no one wants to see candy stolen from a baby. And that, that's, that's what we were left with at the end. That's what was created. And if that makes good TV, then, then so be it. But I personally think better TV would have been just to look, you're running out of time. Don't let the other cars pass. It was your initial decision in the first place, maybe bullied by Christian Horner and the Red Bull team into doing something different. Just, Leave it as is it. You're running out of time. Leave your all the cars in place. You haven't got the time to do it. We all want to see the race. We want to see them released and let them race. And all the other cars would have had to have got out of the way anyway under a blue flag. So it, it, it was manipulated a little bit too far, in my opinion, and and and, and took away some of the the, uh, the the anticipation. Yeah, you you mentioned there about Michael Massey, and and he does have an almost impossible job, and he's following a man who was very well respected in that role. But do, do you think his position is almost going to be forced upon him? Do you think we'll see him there next year? Harry and I were talking about this earlier. And, you know, we feel a certain amount of sympathy for him. But do, do you think he can continue after all this controversy? Yeah, I do. Yeah, he, he's a really, he's a great guy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Michael. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's an intelligent man. Um, and I think, but he's, he's, in a way, he's still learning on the job. Yeah. Uh, he had a great mentor in Charlie Whiting, um, who left us all way too soon and left Michael way too soon as well. And I think that was really... Yeah, I think you're still seeing the effects of that in many ways. Whether or not Charlie would have even made the right call under that situation, yeah. who knows? I mean, I spoke to Charlie about this whole uh, pitting under the, the virtual safety car and, and safety car situation. And and he said to me at the time, well, the reason it's there, Ant, is because it's more entertaining for TV. Yeah. And you go, well, 
Mm, we're all treading a bit of a fine line there, aren't we? Because I just want to see pure racing. And for me, a fair fight seeing cars and drivers at least on the same age tyres. Um, you can have different spec of tyres, but, it, you know, being able to pit under the safety car and virtual safety car, it, it, it's twofold, really, in my opinion. It, you know, why should cars and drivers be allowed to gain an advantage from there being a safety situation on circuit it that's one thing it it, it you know in a sporting context you no know, it, it, it always will throw up strategic differences and that's what we saw in Abu Dhabi the second part of that is that the reason why uh, other categories like WEC don't allow to pit under the safety car uh, or, or, or there's a penalty for pitting under the safety car, I should say, is because they, they want to have full focus on the situation in hand on track. Yeah. To look, There's a car on track. There are marshals on track. That's the whole reason the safety car's out there in the first place. So let's not divert our attention. I want, If I'm race director and all the stewards and officials involved, I want to have full focus on the track, on that corner, making sure my marshals who are volunteers don't get run over you know, the onus is on me right now. And I don't want to be looking, half looking at the pit lane and saying, oh, hang on, there's a mechanic that's just been run over in desperation or everyone diving into the pits for some kind of strategic advantage under a, a safety situation. It's just, it's, it doesn't make sense. It's unthinkable, really. Why is this in place? Um, so that's a whole other topic that I feel the teams, the fans, the drivers, the stewards, the race directors could all save themselves a hell of a lot of work and stress if that rule was just, like, you know, turned around and yeah, I mean, you know, the same way as other championships. F1, unfortunately, is full of interesting quirks and features yeah. that, uh, that, that make it the sport that we love in a way and, and create interest, interesting discussion like this. And one of those things, I suppose, is, is uh, the rules and regulations around what a team can do to a car. And we've got this interesting situation now where um, you know, the, the regulations that were put in play Last time around, in the last um, cycle, with all these winglets and various bits and pieces on the car sort of diverging, and we're getting this close racing now, and now we're going to change it all again. Um, 2022, totally new look cars, bigger wheels, um, less aerodynamic bits and bobs all over the car. Can you just explain to our listeners um, what we can expect from the cars when we next see them roll out on track? Uh, do you think it'll be a good thing for the sport, or should we be sticking with what we've got? Well, I mean, at the end of every life cycle in, in the regulations, you get a, a closing of, of competition. Um, I always describe it like climbing a mountain. Uh, you know, as time goes on, everyone's going to get to the top eventually. Uh, some will get there quicker than others. So you all end up at the same development point together. And that's what we've seen over the, the last year, pretty much. Um, and, you know, whether you're an engine manufacturer or, or car um, designer and manufacturer, you you will you will naturally get closer and closer to the, to the top of that development curve. Um, so next year, you have to say that you're probably going to revert back to in a similar way to where we were in 2014, unfortunately. That's how, that's how I see it. You'll see a bigger discrepancy between the haves and the have-nots. Uh, and I know this, this system's in place to be the token system to kind of mitigate that, but the bigger teams had that advantage of having the, the, the gap. So like Mercedes had a huge gap a few years ago on their rivals. So they naturally 
uh, focused on on this year. It should have actually been this year, but because of COVID, it's it's been pushed back to to 2022. And so they've had all that extra time to, with that buffer that they had over their competition, they've had this extra time to work on on next year's car. So you'll probably see an even bigger gap and discrepancy between uh, the, the the teams out there for next year. And in time, it will eventually close back up again. But I hope that the big hope and the reason they're doing this is to limit the effects of downforce and necessity of downforce via the wings of the car and increase the downforce uh, in terms of uh, the, uh, the ground effects, the floor of the car. And by doing that should, in theory, take away a bit of turbulence from the cars uh, still create the same amount of drag, uh, so punch a, a relatively big hole through the air, but it shouldn't be as turbulent to follow another car because you're relying on the ground effects rather than the wings, which always flick up more turbulence. And that's what we've seen in the last couple of years, particularly this year, actually, cars not being able to follow close enough. And, and, and that really dilutes the racing. And then we have a situation like the last race in Abu Dhabi where all of the racing is pretty much done through strategy in the pits. And I, I prefer to see it played out on circuit. Um, I've always preferred that way. And hopefully that's what we'll have with the new cars. They're, they should look a bit more like uh, the, the F2 cars, but a bigger version, bigger wheels, 18-inch wheels instead of 13 that we currently have. Uh, this will change a lot of the suspension uh, kinematics and design, uh, putting more emphasis on suspension rather than just relying on these squishy big diameter sidewalls of the tyres, which did most of your suspension work for you. Uh, so a, a whole new redesign. They're totally new cars, similar power units still, and that's, I think, a good thing. But yeah, you'll, you'll see a quite a different looking vehicle out there, hopefully ones that are able to follow each other a bit closer. And that's what we're all going to be hoping for, isn't it? I think uh, we could talk to you about F1 all day, but let's talk about you, if we may be so bold. Um, and how things started with you. We're going to part the F1 current chat. You started karting, didn't you? About aged eight, I think it was. How long did it take before it became clear that you could take this, you know, this could be something for you. This could be, this could be a bit of a career. Uh, it took until I was 14 years old. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I remember. I remember it clearly that year. Um, I was in a category called Junior TKM, and it was at a stage where you're at school and you're, you know, you're, you're thinking about what you want to do. Like kids around you, myself, just thinking about what you want to do with your life and you know which profession you you want to get into, what floats your boat, and all that. And I just you know, I had this kind of moment where I realised that well it's really obvious what I want to do with the rest of my life. I, I, I'm good at this and I want to, I want to be a racing driver. I know I've got the skills to do it and, um, and I've got the momentum at that stage. And it just, it seemed like a complete no brainer to just dedicate my life to it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just thought about it 24 seven. Um, and that's, yeah, it's very, very clear, very clear in my mind that it, it was the time when it kind of went from being, my dad's hobby taking me and my brother's karting uh, to me being the one that wanted to go karting and wanted to take this further. 
I was going to say, was there any anything in the family precursor to you that meant you went to these kart tracks as a hobby? Like, was your dad sort of involved in it, or was it literally just, I quite like this, I'll take the kids? Um, well, he was always into motorsport, and um, it was actually his brother, so my, my uncle, that, that got him into, as a fan, just got him into motorsport, uh, which wasn't easy to do back then, you know, physically turning up to the races, um, sniffing out magazines to find little snippets of information on the sport that you wanted to follow. It's a totally different world that we live in now where everything's, you know, on, on your on your smartphone, you can read the news, read up about it and hit, watch videos uh, to your heart's content. It was very different back then. So, yeah, I kind of had my uncle to thank really for getting my dad into it and inspired. And then my dad being a, a graphic artist and traditional sign writer, he sort of naturally gravitated towards wanting to sign write uh, racing cars and would, you know, he befriended people that were involved in racing and would sign write their cars and, 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 you know, whatever it was, it didn't matter whether it was a Formula Ford or a dragster, he would be, he'd be keen to, to surround himself, immerse himself in that environment. Very nice. And now I'm going to fast forward a touch. Um, we know that you were an Autosport Young Driver of the Year. You won that award, which is a very prestigious award that many... Hang on a second. Hang on a second. I'll, I'll just go... I'll go right here. Hold on. I'll be back. Oh, what's he getting? <laughs> what's, he, what's he doing? Uh, it's in my it's in my trophy cabinet, which you can't, you can't see, but... Uh, oh, well, you've go. got a few out behind you. There you go. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Oh, look oh, at that. Yes. It's like an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. That is nice. For the benefit of those who are listening to this, um, Ant's holding up his Autosport McLaren Autosport uh, BRDC award from the year 2000. Goodness me. Um, when okay. Harry was still in his nappies. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, that, uh, Yuki Tsunoda was only just born then. Yeah. So, that's uh, true. Uh, yeah. 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 All right. It's not making me feel so old. <laughs> sorry about <laughs> that. I'm, I'm, that's I'm amazing. Not what goes around comes around. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, that was... What, I mean, what an impressive achievement that was. Yeah. And it must be quite a special uh, moment in your life. And then led you on to, to do some amazing championships after that. Yeah, I mean, that that was, a like I say, I don't keep many trophies and uh, or in, in the cabinet on show anyway. And that's definitely one of them, my, one of my proudest moments in, in motorsport. And um, yeah, it, it really gave me the footing to, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a huge uh, amount of money back then to, send you on your way and help you into into Formula Ford or that's the category I chose to do. Um, and and then on your way into into uh, Formula Three and, and you're up you're getting on the on onto the ladder, the motorsport ladder. And you know, it was a big achievement back then and one that I'm yeah very still very proud of today. And and on your way you were, you went on to compete in British Formula Three, you won the uh, F three Euro Cup, things were looking very good, and they got even better for you when you became a test driver for BAR Honda. Um how did that opportunity show itself? Was this your real your first sort of genuine glimpse into a potential career in Formula One? Yeah, it really was. Uh, you know, Formula Three was good, and I had at that stage I had a, a manager who was funding it, um, but you know, on on a finite budget, I must say. So you know, we had to be careful in where we chose to go racing and and what the costs were. But we always, what we wanted was to always put ourselves against the best, and we you know at Hayward Racing um, in Formula Ford, and we we took on the might of the uh, the Works Van Diemen cars. Uh, won the Formula Ford Festival, and then in Formula Three, 
took on Takuma Sato and wanted to just that 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 desire to be honest with yourself and just say, look, if you want to do this, you want to if you think you're good enough, you that you shouldn't shy away from competition. So we we decided to go to Carlin uh, to well, lucky enough to get into Carlin as well. Um, and I delivered the goods in testing and, you know, it's, it's not just simply rock up and you pay the money and you get a drive, you're up against, uh, you know, at least 10 other drivers of, of similar talent and, and budget that would allow them to drive as well. So, uh, you know, but the focus was to try and put yourself in competition against the best out there and, and alongside Takuma Sato in his second and a half season of Formula 3, was a, a very difficult challenge, but one that I feel like I rose to and uh, and, and scored a I can't remember the exact number now, but a lot of pole positions and um, and, and ended up finishing second in the championship to him, um, winning like you say the, the post Street Grand Prix, the, the the Euro Euro Cup that year. And um, no, I mean it was it was after that you were then really knocking on the door for Formula One. And uh, by the end of Formula Three, I'd been noticed by BAR. Uh, joined their young driver program the very uh, in the early stages um, and yeah it was almost like created around my arrival at that same kind of time and then that you were really knocking on the door to, to getting into F1 and started to become a, you know testing the car and things like that and just straight line tests but uh, you could see where it could possibly lead you in, in the future and it was really exciting that that stage of your career yeah. You you did eventually knock on the door and it opened not just to testing, but to actually a race drive. Can you talk us through what it's like to, to line up on the grid for your first Formula One race? What was Obviously, you'd had some car time already, but actually lining up with everybody else waiting for the lights to go out. Talk us through what that must feel like. Well, my first race in Formula One was actually with Minardi. Um, that was in uh, Budapest in uh, 2002, I think it was. Yeah, really early, actually, in my, in my testing years with, with BAR. Thinking back to it now, that was properly jumping at the deep end. Now I know what I know, uh, driving a completely different car on completely different tyres to what I was testing at the time at, at BAR. We went from the Bridgestone to Michelin. And um, a different engine. Yes, it just everything was new, and a circuit I'd never been to before. And uh, I remember we had a, a, a fuel pickup problem uh, in the car, and it, it meant that I had to run ten kilos of extra fuel. And I didn't. Again, I didn't really know what the implications were of, of, of that. Now I know that's four tenths of a second. Yeah. Um, and I qualified four tenths of a second behind Mark Webber. Uh, <laughs> and and now looking back at it, I'm really. I'm really proud of what I did because around Budapest, that's a tricky little track uh, in a car I've never driven and be four tenths away from Mark, who we now know is, you know, one of, you know, one of the, He's all right. uh, the best uh, qualifying yeah. drivers, at least in Formula One, and could really manhandle that car around. It, it didn't have uh, power steering. So I was, I was really at the limit of my strength driving that thing compared to the, the BAR at the time. And it was all a bit of a shock, but um, lining up on the grid, that, there wasn't much pressure because I was last on the grid, but at least I had qualified. And that's the reason I was there, because Alex Yoon, the, the second driver that, that year, uh, had failed to qualify within the 107% rule for a couple of Grand Prix in a row. And it meant that 
I guess something must have opened up like a clause in his contract or something meant that he could potentially be replaced. I, I don't honestly know how it worked, but somehow I found my way into into the car. Um, not forgetting, of course, it should have been Justin Wilson uh, that was given that opportunity. He was given the opportunity. He couldn't fit the car, unbelievably, and he missed out on the chance. So I guess they went looking for the absolute opposite in the height. So yeah, God rest his soul. That was, um, uh, you know, one of those moments. I, I grew up with Justin racing him, and yeah, just uh, it was one of those moments where, I, again, it's it's one of those it's one of those memories that I have of him um, and of those moments in my earlier career. Um, you know, it's all it's all a one big jigsaw puzzle, and that yeah. that's one piece that. Obviously, didn't fall into place for him, but but did for me. And you know, we all grew up racing each other. Uh, you know, Jensen, Danwell, and um, and and Justin, and it's amazing how you all, you, yeah, you all sort of you all sort of rise up together. And um, yeah, so a lot of a lot of friends made along the way. And um, and that was just one situation, yeah, where where it should have been Justin, but mm. for for his uh, for his height, our height differences, <laughs> it's. Uh, it, it, they, I, I found myself in the car, and um, no, so there was there was not much pressure really at the start of the race. As the lights went out, I just followed the pack down into turn one. But it was it was cool at the same time. Was cool to be thinking, wow, I've grown up my whole life as an eight year old kid watching Formula One, and here I am on the grid, uh, you know, with the likes of Martin Brundle commentating on on your race. That was it was quite surreal. But um, in terms of pressure, there, there wasn't that much pressure but obviously you want to do the best that you can at all times um it didn't end the way that i wanted but uh it was you know i learned so much through those two races only that i did with with uh, minardi a quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor f1 experiences f1 experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from formula one giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets first class hotels and transfers and unprecedented access including track tours pit lane walks vip hospitality and loads more it really is the closest you can get to formula one and thanks to f1 experience Experiences, you can return to the track this year and Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 experience package by using the code Motormouth when booking online at f1experiences.com. That first full season that you got though, you did get one in 2007, Super Aguri, a full racing season, you know, a few years later. Can you say what the, perhaps were there, I mean, obviously it was a team that was struggling financially as well, so you weren't always challenging at the front of the grid, but what was that like to have a, you know, a full season under your belt and then going through, through the motions with, with Super Guru? What were the highlights there? Uh, that was a very different scenario to the early races with Minardi. I must say it was in a more familiar car. Uh, you know, I'd been testing that car because it was the, 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 the leftovers from the year before um, in the 2006 season at, at, at BAR and Honda where I was driving, I was doing, at that stage of my testing career, I was doing around ten to 15,000 kilometres of driving a year. Wow. It was a serious job back then. Yeah, uh, reserve for, drivers would be yeah. uh, killing for that these days, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, any driver would love yeah. to get that level of testing mileage under their belt. And I, they were, you know, those years I learned the most. I really did in terms of uh, the, the technical attributes you need as a driver and, and things that, Still, I feel I 
I learned back then things about tyres because it was a tyre war that that some drivers today never experience until they join Formula One and start actually racing. Um, you know, we, we would uh, we would test sometimes 20, 25 sets of tyres a day and we'd be there for a three-day test with three cars. You'd have the two race drivers either side of you in the garage and you'd be there pounding round day after day. And the, the, the learning curve was, was basically vertical. Um, but, yeah, to get the chance to actually race that car, the one I knew and loved, was, uh, was fantastic. It was – I, I like doing things – properly i like doing things in a neat way and the minardi experience didn't really sit easy with me joining halfway through the season it was all a bit chaotic i much preferred going into a new year it, you know learning the team getting to know them the, the, the team in leefield and and you know just let, getting to learn my engineers and, and then going testing with them before the first race and it, it was such a different experience and one that yeah, the one that I'll never forget. It was, again, a shame the way it ended with them running out of budget yeah. um, before the Turkish Grand Prix in, in 2008. But, um, yeah, it was, it was just a, a joy to, to, be in, to be involved and to be part of, of that environment um, in that car with that team for, for, for as long as it lasted. But Formula One has obviously remained a big part of your life and, and you've experienced Honda F1 and then became Braun F1 and then most recently Mercedes-AMG uh, Patronus Formula One team. When a team changes hands like this, is it like wholesale changes? Do you notice these these um, ownership changes? Does it change the way it operates day to day? Not immediately, no. It doesn't change immediately. Um, there's obviously a bit of angst at first from lots of uh, lots of the employees at the team, uh, sometimes it, it grows and you see opportunity and you see more like a, an influx of new staff arrive and, and the team grows and grows very rapidly, like it did from VAR into Honda, for example. But then you can see it, uh, it, it diminish at the same time, like when Honda pulled out and it turned to Braun, yeah. people worrying for their jobs and, and every manager or team owner that comes along, they naturally, like any industry, I guess, any any line of work they want to put, put a, their own stamp on it and leave their own mark and make their own changes and so I've seen that team change throughout the years from well since I joined at the the, the beginning of 2002 uh, to start my testing years there to where it is today and it's although it's, it's really weird although it's the same place it's in the same facility at Reynard Park in Brackley it's the amount of change is both in terms of physical change to the factory, but also uh, the way the sport has changed and, and the way the personnel have changed, uh, not just in numbers, but in terms of attitude, difference, belief. Uh, some people are still there today uh, that were there back when I joined in 2002, some even longer. And um, it, it's fascinating to see those people, the way that they've grown in their roles and or gone on to bigger and better things even. Um, it, it's it's remarkable. I, I feel really privileged to have been there for such a long time to see this change in in, in the factory there and, and and watch the sport that I love change and manipulate the way the factory has changed over the years yeah. as well. It's, it's, it's been such an incredible journey. Uh, you know, I've, I've worked with so many different people from Craig Pollock through David Richards. Um, 
Nick Fry, Ross Braun, now Toto Wolff. It, it, honestly, it's they've all got their own touch, yeah. and and obviously are trying to do the best they can at the, at that current time. Um, but yeah, just just fascinating to to be there and see it uh, from from the inside, see it all change, see it evolve. Yeah, it's amazing, and, and what experience that you're you're obtaining. You know, you could, you could almost envisage a Formula One team. Headed up by Mr. Anthony Davison in the future. Who knows? Um, but, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> but now, listen, before we come on to your World Endurance Championship exploits, there is one very important piece of the podcast that we have to bring you. And uh, we talked a little bit about it off air, our illustrious quiz. And I'll shortly hand over to Harry to introduce it to you. But I must point out that you said, I've got no chance of beating Karun Chandok. You said to yourself, Karun actually is last, dead last out of i don't wow. know 70 80 90 uh people that have taken this quiz and, really? and the, quiz, the quiz is about is usually it's either about team radio or about that individual and in that his case i think it was about him and he just got it all wrong he knows everything about motorsport but knows nothing about himself so um, <laughs> so you've always beaten him but let me hand over to my bearded colleague to introduce you to the motor mouth quiz Thank you very much, Anthony Davidson. Welcome to Motormouths, the hardest quiz in motorsport because Karun Chandok can't even get five points. Um, <laughs> I'm so in, worried. I'm so in, worried. In now. his defense, back then, we did Karun a couple of years ago and we had a different point system. So he doesn't, under the new point system, it's a bit like F1, we've, got to, we've gone through our fair share of point systems. I still don't think he'd be top, but right now you can score a maximum of 14 points. That is the max you can score. If you get 14, you go to the top of the leaderboard Very because doable. you're the most recent person to do it. There are five bits of team radio coming your way and a bonus point. And all you need to do is listen to the clip and then give us a bit of context. And there are three points up for grabs for each question. Now, just so you know, oh. here's how the standings are looking at the moment. At the top of the leaderboard currently is Susie Perry with 14 points. But if we have a look at some of your colleagues, perhaps Mark Webber is uh, currently got 12 points. He's equal fifth with Natalie Pinkham. She did very well up there with the solid 12 points. We've already said Karoon's way down there. Rachel Brooks on 11 with Crofty and Will Buxton. And then a little bit further down, who we don't, you don't want to be scoring seven points like Jack Aitken or uh, perhaps Johnny Herbert with eight. So it's not, they weren't good. You got double points, Anthony. Oh, Are you ready? Well, well, First I'm, clip. I'm, yeah, I, I'm so nervous. Yeah, I've never scored a point in Formula One, so um, this could be my day. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Let's get, let's get Anthony Davidson on the points board. Tim, let's play the first clip, please. Okay, can your safety car window is closed? Safety car, Modesty. And there is a lot of debris on the track. I know, because it's just happened. Hey, I know. I know. My car is full of. Oh, no. We are checking the tail. Okay, so oh, I'm going to ask you who is the driver, uh, where are they, and what, what are they talking about? Well, it's Kimi Raikkonen. Yep. Correct. Um, We're off to a good start. That's a point. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I mean. It doesn't sound like it's his Alfa Romeo engineer. I think it's an older clip than that. Um, are you Are you sure? Not, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> 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 Lots of debris on track. Um, no, I'll give, I'll give you a hint. All of these, um, for all of these team clips, they're all from this season. Oh, okay. Oh, that's okay. A, okay. 
Okay, so okay, that will so, help you out. Yeah, so we wouldn't be talking about the last race in Abu Dhabi because he wasn't there to see that Latifi crash. He had already retired. Uh, lots of debris on track. So... I think he's going to struggle here with this one. A hard one, isn't yeah, it? It's, it's um, a tough one. Yeah, where was he? Where were, oh, so you're talking... Oh, is he in, it was a I think, big I think, old... I think, it was, I think it was... Was it Jeddah? Oh, no, it was it was a big old crash and and it, quite uh, contra- not co- controversial. Everything's controversial in Formula One. Um, how, I want to give you a good hint, but I don't want to give it away. You're going to give um, it away. I, I, to be honest, I think we're out of time on that question. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll tell you that one. I got the driver, but yeah. Okay, all right. We'll give you one point out of that. It was actually the uh, Russell Bottas incident in Imola. Ah, yeah. That was the, the yeah, big yeah. He, That happened right in front of him. Of course it did. So, but I'm afraid uh, that is just one point, but more than your F1 career, so we're doing well. Uh, <laughs> on to clip number two. Have a listen to this. Uh, Michael, I just send you an email. Um... That's it. That's all you get. Yeah. So, who is it? What are they talking about? Yeah, and where? It was Toto Wolf to Michael Massey, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, a few memes going around after that one. Um, and. Where was it, though? Do you race, remember? Yeah, it was one I don't think I was at. I think it was before Brazil, even. Uh, yeah, wait, wait, wait. I want to say Turkey. Um, close to home. Bit, <clears throat> bit, bit, bit closer to home. Yeah, it was Silverstone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah, in yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Well, not in one. But <laughs> I, I, I remember that. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't there at Silverstone for for the for the Grand Prix. I was racing myself. But um, yeah, you're missing. You've, been, you're missing you've missed all the controversial ones this year, Anne. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't actually hear that live, so that, that's my get-out with that. <laughs> that's your get-out. But hey, you get three points for that. So uh, we're, we're doing well here. We've already beaten Karun. On to clip number three. Have a listen. Here we go. What a race! Yes, man! Felicidades or Feliz Navidad or whatever you say to Checo. That's all you get. Okay, same questions. Sounds like Vettel. Correct. Um, yeah. Correct. Point in the bag. What a race. What a race. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, he, had a, he had a pretty decent one. Was it Portimao, I want to say? Keep going. Keep guessing. Um, Portimao. Um, I, I remember that. Yeah, he had a really good race. Uh, you want to hear it one more time? Yeah, go for it again. Yeah. Here it comes again. What a race. Yes, man. Felicidades or Feliz Navidad or whatever you say to Checo. I'm a- Tricky. I can't quite hear what he, what he says. So he he says, one, Feliz Navidad or Feliz Navidad or whatever it is you say to Checo. Oh, to Checo. Yeah, so he had a race with, race with Checo. Um, going to have to push you for an answer. Yeah, well, yeah I, I'm going to go for his Zanfort. I don't think oh. Afraid not. It was Baku where Baku. Checo won it in the end after Verstappen oh, that big crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unlucky, yeah. unlucky. All right, here we go though. Still a couple more to claw back some points. Okay. Here is your penultimate team radio clip. Ooh. Here it comes. I cannot do it, man. You are having a f- so short. Oh, that Ooh, is hard. Such a short one. I think you've shortened that to what I said it was. But... <laughs> I may that have, is a harsh that one. Is, that, is, that is tough. So, Pierre Gasly? Oh, no. No? Play it again. Play it again. Yeah. Okay, here, one more time. I cannot do it, man. You are having a f- up. 
Not one of F1's right. most popular characters. That might help. <laughs> that is tough. I don't that know. Is, that is a that really one. hard uh, one. I can feel a nil point coming on. Oh, I thought that was Pierre. I'm, I'm a bit You're so harsh, there. Tim. I just want to give... <laughs> you just want to you give everyone full marks. No, I'm, I think I'm going to have to pass that one. Pass. Um, I have a, just a random, yeah. have a random guess. You might, you might get it. Latifi. No. Oh, you're in the ballpark, though. It was actually Nikita Mazepin. So back, at, really? back towards the back. Yeah, yeah it works. <laughs> <laughs> you can't yeah, really hear an accent. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, Latifi doesn't have a French accent, but <laughs> oh, yes. it's like, no. I don't know, just picking up a... It was Mazepin uh, yeah. shouting at his engineer because he asked oh, him to change Monaco. a mapping setting. Monaco. Monaco. Yes. Oh, you but know I what? Out, I couldn't work out anything he was saying, but I do remember the, 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 the point. frustration he was going through. And I actually defended him that day because yeah. it was really hard to be going through the menu system that he had to be going through. In Monaco, uh, yeah. The menu system, well, I'll get... Uh, this was... Um, yes, it was a, a default mode. He had to Defa- yeah, default yeah, Charlie yeah, he had to, 80 something. He, he had to fail a sensor. That's what it was, yeah. Oh, go on, go on then. I'll give you a I point. You've got to have a bonus that. point for I that. Knew yeah. do that. Yeah. I knew you'd yeah. do that. Yeah, I'm allowing that. I'm allowing okay. that. Fair Tim, Fair I'm enough. in charge of the quiz board. I think I worked out. He had something like 13 button presses to, to do yeah. in that request from his engineer. So, yeah, um, it was yeah. a tough one. Um, okay, this is your final team radio clip, but then we do have one more bonus point that you can okay. pick up. So um, have a listen to this final clip. Sit back and enjoy. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Can you Radio check. Radio check, if you can hear me, I need more charge. Okay, give me box, box, if you can hear me. Can you hear me now? No, negative, negative. I can't hear you. But I can hear you. <laughs> it's classic. It's you classic. Know I'm <laughs> no, that I can't was, hear you. Wasn't that Kimmy in Spa? Oh. Well, it was Kimmy. We know Kimmy. That. It's, it's Kimmy. Spa. Where did you get the from? It's, 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 it was very. Think of, but we're 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 into the uh, earlier part of the season here. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh god, uh, where was this? I remember this one. It's hilarious. Um, He's had a few. Can, to be fair, it's hard. Yeah, to yeah. Can you hear me now? I'm going to go pull him out. Oh, 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 it was Bahrain. Bahrain. I, I, would, I don't that. think anybody would get that. That's our one. But you picked up a point there. Oh. Um, okay, right. You can claw an extra point back. But if you can answer me this, your first full racing season, of course, was in 2007 with Super Aguri. Mm-hmm. Who finished last in the standings? Uh, Winklehock? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Excellent. He didn't right. need a race, though. <laughs> he <laughs> did. more than I did. <laughs> but hey, the stats don't... The yeah, stats yeah. will yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, right, okay, uh, let me do... Eight uh, points. points. So that was... It's solid mid-table territory. It is solid yeah. mid-table. It's okay. not double figures, I'm afraid. Uh-huh. But you have at least got on par with Johnny Herbert with eight points. And okay. you are equal oh, yeah. with uh, Timo Glock... Okay. And uh, just ahead of Steve Ryder Legend. and uh, Jack Legend. Aitken. So Anthony Davidson, a solid 
eight points. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty I'm more vision based than audio. <laughs> really, so. totally There's no Skypad here, I'm afraid. No, no, no. <laughs> all, all of the video <laughs> content. <laughs> it has. Oh, well, Anthony, <laughs> thank you very much for playing the hardest quiz in motorsport. Very well done indeed. I know. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Is that, is that actually one? that Mazepin one. I, I, that I, I, got, I reckon I would have got the whole thing if you played the whole clip. I think so. Yeah. Because what the whole clip is actually, it then goes to, it fast forwards to um, Baku, where his engineer tells him to do the same thing, and then he just, he replies with, done. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly practiced it in the simulator. Yeah. You have a lot more straights in Baku than mine. Yeah, you've got time. That was one of the hardest quizzes we, we've done. I like that done. one. So, I like that game. You've done, well done, you've, done, yeah. you've done very well. Now, we're, we're rapidly running out of time and we do have a final three which we ask all our guests and we're going to have to fire them to you. But it would be wrong of us not to touch on the World Endurance Championship and Le Mans, which you have a long relationship with, an up and down relationship with. We can all remember back in 2016, the trials and tribulations of the last laps. Um, but take us through the, the emotion, the feeling of um, winning in the World Endurance Championship and Le Mans. I mean, it must be an incredible race to be a part of. You've had some tremendous highs there. Take us through your your uh, wet career in a whistle-stop tour. Whistle-stop tour. Well, yeah, so after Formula One, uh, I didn't know where to turn, didn't know which category to, to try and get into. Had a test drive at Peugeot, um, absolutely fell in love with LMP1, the way the car felt, the camaraderie between teammates, you know, in the sports car scene was was amazing. I'm always I've always been a team player, and that's why I, I was into the test driver role so so well in back in the day. And yeah, just fell in love with sports cars, got my chance at Peugeot um, in that test, but then it, it didn't come my way for a year or two later. Uh, competed in uh, Le Mans actually with uh, Jos Verstappen and Darren Turner in the Aston Martin. Uh, it's one in one of those cars behind me. I don't know if you can see on on the screen. Um, but uh, yeah, that that was a fantastic race. Two thousand nine. That was. Um, we had a I think a thirteenth or fourteenth position finish, but we were running as high as third at one point. Um, and I just knew that well, Le Mans was something I wanted to to try and win. Uh, in, in the future, and I had 13 goes at it. Unlucky for some. Wow. <laughs> and I had quite literally my ups and downs in 2012 in in Toyota, in my first year at Toyota, um, broke my back at the Molsan corner after uh, a back marker turned in on me on a, which should have been a, just a simple overtake. Um, yeah, it turned out me going up in the air and end up, up in the hospital with a broken back. Yeah. Uh, didn't need any surgery, so I was back for the next year, and the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that, and <laughs> and almost won it. Finished second once before, and a third, but never won it. Closest to came was in 2016 with Toyota again, uh, where the car failed on the last lap oh. uh, when we were in the lead by a minute and a half. The pain, um, heartbreaking. Still hurts to think back to it now, but that yeah, that was the closest I ever got. To, uh, to win in the thing, but I did win the championship, the world championship, as you said, in in, uh, in, in 2014. The car was mega that year. Um, it's the best season I had in, in sports cars, the best I got from myself, and one that I look back on with uh, with huge pride. And to be an, a fully fledged FIA world champion is, uh, is something that doesn't come around very easily. Um, and to have that in the trophy cabinet, where I just showed show you my autosport young driver of the year award, is the FIA. World Endurance Championship trophy as well. Yeah. 
And what a way as well to sort of, I know you've announced your retirement, of course, uh, this year and to, to go out, you know, still still incredibly competitively as well, you know, scoring podiums and wins in your, in your final year. That must have been a, a really nice way to sort of finish your career. How was it getting out of the car, uh, the, the Jota Sport car, weren't you? How was that getting out of that for the, the last time? It was, yeah, it's obviously a bit emotional. Um, it's been a way of life for 34 years, been racing. And um, yeah, I'm from that generation where we started as eight-year-old kids. So, you know, even though I'm, I'm just 42 years old, I've been doing this a long time and it feels like I've been doing it a long time. And I didn't want to walk away when I was sort of scratching around looking for a drive or just feeling like I wasn't quite at the level that I demand from myself. I wanted to go out while I was still on top and, and feeling like I could still be competitive, but I could feel it coming. I could feel that the mistakes were starting to creep in every once in a while and actually happened in that, in that last race where well, a lapse of concentration and randomly drove into the pits. I thought the engineer had called me in, but he hadn't. Um, just small things like that. And I just thought, it, it, I can feel it's coming at some point and I'd prefer to stop now on my terms than, uh, than, than to just sort of wither away in, 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 as such and, and not be the driver that I demand myself to be. And um, I'm, I'm happy with, with my decision and um, I can now, if I want to, drive for fun, yeah. uh, you know, without it being overly competitive. And it was really that competition, that level of competition that not just other people put on you, but what I put on myself. I just didn't want to live with that anymore. So um, I'm quite happy doing my simulator work for Mercedes and um, yeah, striving for perfection in there, but it's not competitive. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, it, it's not all about the lap time in there, for example, and, and, and competing against other people. It's constructive work. So I'd be quite happy to drive stuff for fun. Um but yeah, I, I just I felt like it was the right time. But stepping out of that car for the last time was obviously emotional. Um, and yeah, it's just I'm 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 proud of what I've achieved in in this uh, in, in my career and in this sport. And now hopefully I can go on for many years to come talking about it and and bringing my love for the sport to the people at home or wherever they are listening around the world um, and trying to get across all of those nuances that this incredible sport brings. Brings along and um, and trying to put it into uh, in, into uh, into layman's terms, um, just you know for the way I see it and, and trying to explain it the best way I can in the most simple way I can. Yeah, and and you you convey it um, and articulate it very very well, and I'm sure we'll see you for many many more years on our screens. Now, um, there's loads we haven't covered. Um, we we've taken up nearly an hour of your time, which has whizzed by. But um, as with many of our guests, we're going to have to do an Anthony Davison part two. Uh, yeah. But there is. So, I, told you, I told you, I warned you, I waffle on. Uh, yeah. we, love, we love a waffler. We love a waffler. Um, but we we have three questions um, which we ask all of our guests, um, and uh, these final three questions are brought to you by our friends at F One Experiences. I'll kick off with the first one. And what's got you excited at this very moment? It's got me excited at this very moment. Um, I say, just thinking back to the last. The last Grand Prix. I can't get it off my mind. I really can't. <laughs> Good answer. Harry, over to you for number two. Anthony Davidson, what is your favourite racing destination? Ooh, uh, Silverstone, because I get to sleep in my own bed. Yeah, 
had a boy. Nice. Um, what are you scared of? Mosquitoes. Really? Oh. Actually scared yes. of them? Mm, not or just mildly annoyed. Yeah, just, no, no, it's more than annoyed. It's more than annoyed. Yeah. Is yeah. it like when a, is, is it like, I can only imagine it like when a wasp comes and people get a bit, you know, yeah, it's a bit like that. It's really? a bit like that. Yeah, you yeah. can barely see yeah. a mosquito, though. <laughs> and that's why. And that's why. And that's true. exactly yes. why. <laughs> it's, like, it's what I say about spiders. It's not the big ones. You can see them. It's the little ones. Where oh, the hell right do they go? I'm all right with spiders. I like oh, spiders. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, you, you can spiders when you're asleep. Oh, oh don't. It's you handle the spiders. nightmares. <laughs> oh well you learn something new every day you handle the spiders and uh, I'll handle the <laughs> yeah, but fun. look Anthony Davidson what an absolute pleasure what an absolutely amazing career as well we love seeing you on our screens week in week out as well uh, on Sky and, and everything else you do we'll be uh, watching what you do going forward with uh, Hawkeyes as well I'm sure Mercedes will uh, <laughs> want to keep that on the down low uh, but Anthony Davidson thank you so much for coming onto the Most Natural Podcast it's been an absolute pleasure oh thanks for having me guys yeah absolute pleasure thanks Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel programme of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first-class hotels, travel and exclusive behind-the-scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So, to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5 percent off too thank you so much for listening to the motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials twitter at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and facebook just search motormouth you can also download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motor mouth podcast